Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we are thrilled to be joined by 2016 Olympic gold medalist and the current number 90 in the WTA singles rankings, Monica Pui, to ask her what she's been doing during these quarantined months, to ask her how she's staying in shape, how she's getting her training in. When was the last time she went this long a stretch without competing in a tennis match you know she is someone who's been the highest ranked player throughout the juniors and obviously into her professional career as well and so I wanted to ask her what she's doing to fill that competitive void in her life right now of course we also talk about her being the star of this year's edition of tennis channels my tennis life YouTube series so it's a really fun conversation and a bonus to it all we get to do this one on video as well so if you are listening to this in podcast form you want to see both mine and Monica's smiling face be sure to head over to our YouTube channel. Now, I do want to apologize. This was the first interview we did on Zoom, and so the audio quality, not quite where we usually like it to be. No green screen in the background. Of course, that was my fault, but super producer Daniel Westoff worked his magic, and you know we really enjoyed the final product. We know you all will as well, so be sure to enjoy today's video. Also, just so you know, at the end, again, the audio quality as well as the video quality, just a little bit off. I think I said audio earlier. I meant video, now I mean audio at the end. Just a little bit off, just so all of you know. So, uh, you know, we're working those things out, and we promise to get better and better moving forward. But again, we are really excited to share this interview we did with Monica Pui with all of you. But before we get to today's interview, I, of course, have to let you listeners know that this podcast is made possible due to the support that we get from our friends at Midwest Sports. And for more than 20 years, Midwest Sports has been supporting tennis players around the globe by serving as one of the world's premier tennis equipment suppliers, and it's because they offer a comprehensive selection of fast-shipping tennis supplies that few retailers can match. They also have one of the largest in-stock inventories of tennis equipment online, with tens of thousands of products available for shipping from their automated warehouse directly to your front door. They value innovation and have personally tailored their products to highlight your skills on the court. And if you don't know what you need, you don't have to worry because their well-trained staff are intimately familiar with tennis equipment and can help you find that perfect racket, perfect string, or perfect tennis clothing that is sure to put you ahead of the competition. Their selections of equipment are consistently first to market, and they pride themselves in stocking their warehouse with the newest products at the lowest prices. You can find all of these wonderful products offered by checking out their website, MidwestSports.com. When you get there, you are going to want to order yourself up some gear. I guarantee it. And when you do, know that you can save an additional 15% on these great 
great Midwest sports prices by using our promo code CR15. Not only will you get 15% off, you'll also get free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. And the piece de resistance of the deal, a free can of Wilson extra-duty tennis balls to ensure that you have all you need for when you make your return to the tennis court. So go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15 to let them know that we sent you there. And of course, we are so grateful for their continued support. The least we can do is ask you to support them as well. All right. With that being said, let's get to my conversation with former Olympic gold medalist in singles and current WTA world number 90, Monica Puy. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Joining us now on the Cracked Interviews podcast, you may know her for her career high of number 27 in the WTA singles ranking. Of course, she is a former gold medal singles winner for her native country of Puerto Rico. Also, the star of this past season of Tennis Channel's My Tennis HQ's Monica Puy. Monica, welcome to the Cracked Interviews podcast. How are you doing? I am great, trying to brave out the quarantine like everybody else. How are you? I'm doing well. I saw the quarantine, my tennis HQ. I feel like that's got to be a weirder, you know, weirder piece of content that you've done. Yeah, actually, a little bit of an inside look at what I was working on with Tennis Channel this week. Um, decided to do like a little my tennis life cribs edition. <laughs> so kind of giving everybody an inside look at my uh, quarantine HQ, which is this apartment, which I don't leave very often. But um, I actually kind of like it because this is not like what I get to do during the season, which is travel all the time and never be home. So this is great. Mm -hmm. And I know you started this year out with an elbow injury. Obviously, I'm curious how you're feeling. But to that point first, uh, because for tennis players, I'm sure for you, you know, you were two-time Junior Slam uh, finalist, and so you've been a prodigy your whole life. Uh, Is this the longest stretch of time you've gone, you know, since when was the last time you had this much time off, you were stuck at home for this long? I have no idea. I think, I mean, we were having a roundtable table. conference call with the WTA last night just discussing what what's going on and I think our CEO said that it's only been 30 days that we've been doing this uh and I kind of like pause and think to myself I'm like really it's only been 30 days I feel so much longer than that um because if it's only 30 days yeah I have spent a month at home before during preseason but um I guess this is the first time that it's probably been 30 days like actually being inside without going to restaurants the movies shopping all these things that I would normally do so if that maybe that's why it feels longer than 30 days so um 
Is it the longest? I don't know, but it definitely <laughs> feels like it. Yeah, no, I've gotten so sick of my roommates. That's a lie. They're in the background. I'm not sick of you all, but um, it just getting to do these podcasts, it's such a nice break just to get to talk to someone else. I think I was ordering food last night, and I was just chatting with the lady, and she was like, sorry for whatever. I was like, no, 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 take your time. Like, I haven't talked to people in months, so please. I'm know, like texting going. with my Instacart shopper, too. I'm like, oh, <laughs> by the way, I need this. <clears throat> Is that okay? It's not okay. She's like, I don't have anything else to do. It's no problem. Like, I can spend all day in public if I have to. I was like, okay, Oh, Whatever that's... floats your boat. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And, you know, I am curious, as I said there, uh, for you to have an elbow injury at the start of this season to not get to play at all. Uh, you know, I'm curious, how are you feeling? Are you a little bit antsy to get back out there? I'm sure we all are at this point. Yeah, so um, the thing with the elbow injury is that since I did have a nerve issue, it takes a little bit longer to heal and to come back from the whole process. So it's been very up and down. I had my comeback kind of scheduled for Indian Wells. And then upon arriving in Palm Springs, I wasn't ready. And (laughs) all this came around and I was just kind of like, you know, it's not that bad for me to kind of like just continue to rehab, get better, and uh, hopefully – um you know be ready to compete whenever it is that um this is all over but you know I'm still dealing with the issues of the up and down you know have some good weeks some bad weeks um sometimes where you know even playing three times a week makes me need to take an entire week off um but I think it's all really up in the air because nobody really knows how hard to train at the moment so you know you want to push your body to a normal um extreme for you but it's Oh, there is no normal extreme right now. You don't know whether to go like recovery day or like push really hard. It is literally like tying a knot with your brain every single day. You don't know what to expect. Yeah, I can only imagine it again, getting back to the long layoff. I, I can't imagine you've had a three month training block since before you turned pro. And, you know, that's a sentiment we've heard from so many players that we've gotten the chance to talk to is you don't know how hard to go right now. And again, I know in my tennis HQ, you gave a little sneak peek of what your quarantine activities look like. But what you know, how have you been training? What have you been doing to stay in shape? Are you at a place where you have access to a court? Well, I have um, really good friends that actually have a private court and they let me use it, obviously social distancing as much as possible. But, you know, tennis is a lower risk sport. You know, the other person's on the other side and you're on the other side. Um, So I can train from time to time. But obviously, like I said, there's, you know, the good weeks and the bad weeks where, um, you know, I've had to take maybe two weeks off of hitting just completely because I'm not there yet. Um, I have my Peloton, which many people have seen me on this thing like all the time and the good thing is that i made this investment in november before everything started i was like i want a peloton i really want it it's great um and it has been great because i can get my cardio out anytime i want actually after this podcast i have to go on that bike so um but we have like a love-hate relationship i really love the thing but there are some days where i don't really want to do it i'm literally sitting on this chair having like a stair contest with the bike and i'm like I don't want to get on. I don't want to ride. And it's like, you know, that internal voice that it's kind of like speaking to you. And it's like, no, you need to ride today. <laughs> I'm like, oh, so it's like, you know, that little tug of war. At least I'm doing that. Um, and yeah, I don't know if cleaning counts as exercise, <laughs> but you know, 
<laughs> I have like the vacuum, I have my Lysol wipes, I'm just like going to town on this whole place. Um, and trying to spend as much time in my pajamas as humanly possible. <laughs> No, I've worn the same pair of sweatpants and hooded sweatshirt. I mean, they've they've made an appearance in the washer and dryer, but they then immediately come back on. And yeah, I at this point, you know, to your to what you were saying, I would watch an Olympic sport of just hand washing, just like the different techniques. What's the most efficient? Curling right now. I mean, <laughs> it's literally what we're all kind of training for. So I mean, they better watch out. There's probably going to be more people getting involved in that sport because either that or speed walking because maybe people are probably like pacing around their houses or apartments or whatever just trying to i see more people walking now yeah. i mean many more people walking it's nice to see because a lot of people and i kind of see this as an opportunity as people are starting to want to get outside that whole thing of staying inside you know while yes people are playing video games and whatnot they're getting outside they're riding bikes they're running they're walking it's great um hopefully it stays and it sticks this time around because it's it's nice to see people getting active Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no doubt. One of my highlights of the day, I mean, we're on Zoom for people who are listening to this in podcast form, so you can see my magnificent jawline. Uh, all a product of, I go for a run, you know, most days of the week. And my favorite interaction is when, because I'll like go onto the road if I'm running on a sidewalk so as to not get too close to someone. And like, it's an obli- obligatory wave. It's just like, hey, thank you for doing that. I'm like, no, 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 no. Thank you for, you know, just being out there. Kind of like one of these, or do you do like a this, or are you just kind of like, <laughs> So great question. And again, you missed a hand waving if you're listening to this in podcast form. But uh, there was this one lady who was walking her young child and I passed her three times in the same run. And that's not to say I'm fast. That's just to say that's where our like geographies ended up matching up where I just kept passing her. And after the third time, because I think she noticed the second and I did too, I just put like the three fingers in the air and said, that's three times I've passed you. And I heard her chuckle. And the, the, the fourth, you just have to give her the nod, the nod and just be like... So. Yeah, no, the, the fourth I was like, does this baby have a father? And if not, does it need <laughs> one? <laughs> but, you know, that, that didn't go over so well. There was no fifth encounter after that one. You know, I quickly scrambled out of there. But it's like, okay, I'm gone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, I don't know how I'm going to transition from that to my next question. So I guess I'll throw in another comment and say, um, you know, my parents have a Peloton. And whenever I go visit them at home, I like to use it. The worst part is putting on the shoes. You're just locking in and you're like, this is scary. Yeah, well, I mean, it's just kind of like, okay, it's the same experience as when you're going on a roller coaster, you know, the adrenaline <laughs> starts to build and all of a sudden you hear the do, 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 and then you're just kind of locked in and you're like, I can't move. But there's also, I, I mean, there's two types of people. There are the people who go on the roller coaster and leave it so that there's actually space in between their body and the bar. And there's the people like me who like pretty much just like, and then you can't breathe and it's just kind of like super stuck to your body. And uh, that's what it's like on the Peloton. You get in there, you can't move. (laughs) So you better finish your ride and then get off because then the whole process of getting out of the bike, I don't know how many bruises or cuts and scrapes you have from like unclipping from the bike, but I knocked myself in the shin a few times. (laughs) Well, it's just like, who needs cleats to ride a bike? It's like, we couldn't have thought of this just a little bit better. Um, So yeah, it's a little bit scary. There's no denying that. How how satisfying is it when you do hear that initial click? You're just kind of like, 
<gasps> okay. Yeah, I just like I like the leaderboard too. I mean, I'm a competitor. I imagine you are as well. You like it? Oh, I love it. I detest the leaderboard. <laughs> I mean, I try and push myself as hard as I can possibly go, but then all of a sudden you finish a ride and you're like, I killed that one. I crushed it. I crushed it. And all of a sudden you see ten thousand out of two thousand, uh, out of ten thousand out of twenty thousand. You're like, yeah. Are you serious? Like really? But I mean, there Peloton does have a lot of followers, but usually on the live rides, I'm not really that far up there, and that kind of makes me sad in a way. I'll Wonder get the, there eventually, but yeah. t- today's not that day. No, for the person who's like 10,212th and right behind you, they're like, "Is that that Monica Pui? Like, really?" There and also, <laughs> I've given everybody my my handle. It's Monica Ace ninety three. If you want to follow me on Peloton, I'm not going to challenge you on any rides. <laughs> I'm riding pretty much for my own self-enjoyment, but, you know, sometimes I see, like, oh, your friend has taken this ride, and I'm going to look at it. I'm like, oh, okay, that ride doesn't really seem that bad. And then I start the ride, and I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> well, if you ever see the username LG Mother of 3 I'm pretty sure that's my mom. Um, <laughs> I actually don't think that's her username, but that's what I would refer to her as. And, uh, yeah, that, I will be on the lookout for that because I feel like there's a chance. I mean, there's so many riders, right? That's half the fun of it. There's communities like that. And so that's very cool. Last tangent as well, just on roller coasters because this thought is stuck in my head. My dad – no, it's a good thing. My dad uh, – you know, I could see. So again, I, we're on Zoom, so I see your face, and so that's why I know I got to tread lightly here with the jokes. Can't afford a flop. No, um, I like, I love it, and plus, laughing <laughs> is the best medicine out of anything. And you're talking about roller coasters, which is like my thing. Yeah, and so my dad, who has a voice that's at least three octaves lower than mine, um, it, it's just so funny because he goes on a roller coaster, and I always have to sit next to him because he'll just let out like this high pitched ah. Like the entire roller coaster, and you're just like, where did this noise come from? Really? Yeah. Dad? <laughs> yeah. And it's just, it's the highlight. He'll come off after you know, this little guilty smile, and I'm like, this is just, this is high quality content. Uh, so, if only they allowed, you know, videotaping. I mean, I, I wonder how many GoPros and cell phones they'll lose, but that's like a moment that you just want recorded yeah there's a there's a photo of you know like the log rides where you have the big drop at the end you get splashed there's one of him like with his screaming face and i know he does that so i mocked his screaming face and that's like yeah it's one of the few photos in my room i actually stay safe how many times do you try and go on a ride and actually like you want to know where the camera is and all of a sudden you're like i'm making an ugly face i need to change it just for the picture and then it's just like yeah, I pose. Not terrible. <laughs> yeah, no, there have been Effort. like the attempted Usain Bolt, and it's just like the wrong moment, and the person's like, "What are you doing?" And I'm like, "Sorry, I'll, I'll stop it. I can't help it." Um, yeah, no, that that's absolutely a staple of everything. And again, gonna work a transition here. Speaking of staples, getting to see all of the player based content has been something that I think so many of us have enjoyed. And for you, you did a My Tennis HQ episode where you were at Indian Wells. And obviously that was the scene of where things for the coronavirus pandemic really first started to influence tennis. And I'm curious for you, uh, you know, again, I don't know how we got so serious all of a sudden, but what was it like in the moment to, you know, hear all the news that Indian Wells was canceled? Did you hear from the tournament directly? Is it players chatting about, you know, amongst one another? How chaotic was that scene? Okay, so um, let's circle back to... Mm -hmm. 
roller coasters. Okay, Palm Springs, sure. <laughs> so being in Palm Springs, like, you know, I, I, I actually read a post about this. It's like uh, the wife is listening to her husband on a conference call. And it's like, I married a let's circle back guy, <laughs> but now I'm, I'm actually going to have to bring it here. Let's circle back to when we were in Palm Springs. I'm a, that, a let's circle back uh, kind of girl. So I like it. Um, <laughs> we were over there and I had just pulled out of the tournament because I wasn't ready to compete. So I had gone through all the paperwork and everything and I was no longer entered in the tournament. And I was just there because I had a bunch of other commitments with sponsors at the time. So um, I remember it was one day I was eating dinner and I was texting back and forth with Riley Opelka. Um, and all of a sudden he says, I just heard the craziest thing. And I said, what? what? He said, I heard a rumor that Indian Wells is going to be canceled. I was like, no, get out of here. You know, I, I know Riley, he is funny, you know, great person and everything. But I'm like, you're pulling my leg here. You know that I'm super gullible and this is just a joke. Um, he's like, I don't know. That's just what I heard. I said, okay, bye. Get out of here. I don't want to like see ya. Yeah. So I was having dinner two hours later and all of a sudden I start getting like my phone starts beeping. I'm like, ooh who is texting me? Usually I'm the type of person that I can leave my phone for like five hours, pick it up and nobody texts me. <laughs> I'm like that forever alone person. So I pick it up and I see all these updates just saying Indian Wells has been canceled because of a positive test in the, uh, somebody tested positive for coronavirus in the Coachella Valley. And I was like, no, this is a joke. And again, I went on Twitter, um, we got an email from the CEO of the WTA, everybody was posting about it, and I was like, oh my God, what now? Because people still need to do things, we still, you know, we don't know what's going on. And so they left the site open for like five days or whatever until people could figure out what they were going to do. And it looked like a ghost town. People were training. It was like a mini preseason in a tournament in Indian Wells. And it was so weird. And the days, honestly, those days were like stormy and gloomy. So it really had a very ominous feel to be in Palm Springs during that time. It was creepy. Yeah, I can only imagine what that's like, especially because, you know, Miami's right on the horizon. And at the time, they had said, no, we're going to try and play the event. A couple of days later, obviously, they ended up having to cancel. And I'm curious for you, again, is it the uncertainty above anything else that is really the most frustrating part of all of this? Yeah, it's it's the most frustrating thing is just hearing I don't know all the time. So, you know, you build up this idea in your head that, you know, maybe things are going to get better. Um, maybe this is going to happen, but we have to also realize we're in mid-April and we have May, June, July, August, September, October. There's six months, but things don't really seem to be, yeah, while they're leveling out a little bit more, we don't know what's going to happen in the future. We don't know if there's going to be a second wave of the virus. We don't know what countries want to do in terms of their travel. We don't know um, if sponsors are going to be willing to support a tournament that doesn't have people coming to go and see um, tournament revenue. There's a whole bunch of different things that, you know, it's a huge question mark at the moment. And for a player, um, my biggest concern is health and safety 
of myself, my team, my family, and of everybody else. You don't want to go to a place that's all of a sudden, you know, one person gets sick and you're at a really high risk of getting sick yourself because you can't really isolate. Um, and then going to a place and maybe that place has the rule that you need to quarantine for 14 days or before or after. What do you do? Um, it's it's just, you, you don't know. And not knowing, I think, is the biggest stress Mm -hmm. you talked yes or you said yesterday you guys had a wta conference call a couple of questions on that a is it just uh hundreds of person zoom and it's just like there's just little boxes across the screen and and you're like christy go on mute like we can all hear you in the background christy's probably gonna be doing like uh you know her tiktoks while everybody's talking her tick honestly i would love to see her followers go up because she has the funniest TikTok content out it's of unbelievable. all of the players, both ATP and WTA. Mm-hmm. She is question. so creative and I love it. Mm-hmm. No, you. it's just ridiculous. I, this has been the best part. And, you know, tennis players get a rough rap from me included because so many of them, of us, I'll say, uh, were homeschooled at a certain point, right? And so it's like, you're going to probably be a little bit nerdy. But no, that's not the case. What we're learning is everyone's pretty cool and pretty funny and very creative. Um, but, you know, again, Christy was the example I used because I know she's on the player council. But during those calls, is it communications between players and the council, between players and WTA officials what has the line of communication looked like so it's not a zoom meeting it's um <laughs> well it's it's similar to zoom but I think it's on Microsoft or something and we're not actually looking at each other's faces like everybody um calls in cameras off mute um so you're just listening so it's um uh, they have two separate meetings they have a meeting every Thursday from like eight to nine um for people who are on the east coast or wherever it is, um, not Europe. I think it's more for like Asia so they can dial in. And then one on Friday from I think 10 to 11 where people from Europe can dial in or the United States if they're, if they're up early. Um, and in those meetings, we have our CEO, Steve Simon, all of the, um, WTA board. Um, we have people from communications. We have the player council, and a bunch of other players just listening to updates. So every week we get new updates, whether it's on calendar, on um, updates on what the tournaments are saying, uh, what we need to do while it's all confidential. Obviously um, we can't go too in depth, but um, it's just nice to continue to get updates. And obviously if we have any questions, we players have any questions, we submit the questions beforehand. And, the board and the CEO, our CEO, gives us an opportunity to chime in after he says something or proposes something, um, and then we voice our opinions or our questions and, and get answers. But again, it's like the only thing I can say is that there's still just a ton of uncertainty, but um, it's good that at least they're keeping us in the loop and well-informed, and it kind of eases the stress a little bit. Not really, but kind of. Yeah, uh, I mean, so I won't then pry and ask you what solutions people are thinking of, but I will say it, it sounds like overall you're happy with the level of communication you guys have received. Yeah, I mean, it it would be one thing if they just completely left us in the dark, but they're really trying to do a good job of keeping us in the loop, um, informed. I know at this time, you know, there are some people who also are worried about compensation and what what's going on because... I mean, this is the way that we make money. This is the way that we 
we uh, just live our lives as working on the court, whether it's prize money or sponsorship deals. Um, and we're not doing any of that. So it's obviously a concern. Um, essentially, we're like unemployed right now. So it's, <laughs> you know, everybody has their concerns and we want to know what what is the best path to take, if, if there's any resources that we can use to kind of help us deal with this tough transition in time and, um, you know, just kind of ease our minds as, as this all plays out. Yeah, absolutely. And for you, I know you played world team tennis last year. Uh, not sure if you're signed up to play this year, but I know that is one avenue uh, that's been explored of maybe that's the first thing that comes back before even the tours because the international nature of the tour, it's hard to have everyone traveling across the world and making sure people are getting tested if needed, all of those different things. But the idea of domestic leagues, and that's obviously what world team tennis is, does seem feasible in a world if the curve is flat flattened and things have gotten under control. Uh, do you think that, you know, world team tennis solutions like that might be the more immediate fix? Are you planning on playing world team tennis this year? Well, since the Olympics are kind of out of the way, um, that definitely freed up the summer schedule a little bit. And I enjoyed playing world team tennis so much. My team was the Vegas rollers and I had such a great time because I was with Sam Corey, the Bryan brothers, um, Asia Muhammad. Uh, we had a great team. Um, and a great time. Uh, in I only Vegas. Played for, I, in Vegas, of all places. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I was only there for a weekend, but definitely looking to expand on that and play a little bit longer season. But yeah, again, domestically, it looks like sports are trying to make a comeback somehow. World Team Tennis would be a good thing. Um, I don't know how it would happen if it's going to be like, a, okay, all United States thing, if they want to do like an all players in France thing, I don't know, because obviously it's going to be really hard with international travel and what do you do? But I mean, just trying to get back out on the tennis court as soon as possible is always a nice thing. I mean, I definitely miss it. I haven't played since October. And here I am just trying to like, oh, I just want to play. I just want to compete again. Like, I'll never, compl I'll never complain about tennis ever, ever, <laughs> ever again. Just give me back what I need. And it's kind of like that right now, really. Mm -hmm. No, I can only imagine again how frustrated, how antsy, I think is the word to go with. You must be in, you know, you use the O word, so I will bring it up now, Olympics, because I'm sure you get asked about the Olympics in every interview you do. And All the time. Yeah, and so we don't have to relive the 2016 Olympics, although I'll point out, first gold medalist again in Puerto Rican history, you know, not too bad uh, as far as things go, but for you to be the defending champion and obviously for the Olympics to be postponed. Yeah, that, that I see your face reaction. That's a, it's a weird thing to say, defending Olympic champion. But, you know, for the Olympics to be pushed back, uh, obviously for safety health reasons, it makes a bunch of sense. But, you know, how much were you looking forward to this year's Olympics and defending that crown? Whew. Well, now that you bring that up, I was more concerned than excited <laughs> because I – don't know if I would have been ready. Um, like I said, I hadn't competed since October. I had to cancel Indian Wells. Um, I don't, I didn't know what my elbow was going to bring and now being in mid April and still having some issues here and there, it probably wouldn't have happened, which would have probably been heartbreaking for me because Tokyo was, was something that, you know, I really wanted to do. And there were talks of hopefully, carrying the flag out in the opening ceremonies for, you know, Tokyo. So I just wanted the opportunity to, to compete and 
just be there representing Puerto Rico at the Olympics for a second time. So um, the fact that it got pushed back um, definitely eases my mind a little bit. Um, people are like, oh, now you get to keep the title for another year. How do you feel about that? Um, and honestly, the title is always going to be on my back. It's something that's slapped <laughs> on my back and it's never going to go away. And I love that, you know, because I earned that. And it was, it's something I'm going to carry with me for the rest of my life. I'm always going to be the 2016 Olympic gold medalist. And whether somebody else wins it or I win it again, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, I will always have that experience and I will always have that title um, to my name. So for that, I'm grateful. And um, just hopefully 2021 can be, uh, you know, a successful Olympic Games. But health and safety is obviously the first and only priority at the moment. What's it like to receive a police escort? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) So (laughs) that is overwhelming. I mean, just seeing people lined up on the highways, cars, I'm, I'm, I'm going in one direction. There are parked cars on a busy highway oh. just to see me drive down with like 10 police officers in the front, 10 in the back. Oh my gosh. It was, <laughs> honestly, it, it was a crazy experience. Um, one that I barely remember because those days just went by in such a hurry because there was so much to do. It's like, Monica, come here. Monica, go there. Monica, up. Monica, down. This, that, this, the other. So when I finally had moments to myself, I was exhausted. (laughs) And I would just, you know, the minute I got back to my hotel room or wherever I was, I closed the door. I was like, don't bother me. I need (laughs) silence. Um, It was was just crazy. Um, Crazy in a good way. I enjoyed every minute of it. But um, I never really knew how much of an impact this gold medal was going to bring on, on such a small island of 4 million people. And it was an explosion, literally. Uh, one that I enjoyed very, very much. I'm not a doctor, but I'd say 10% chance the elbow injury came from the presidential wave. You probably know. I, I, I was practicing. I was like, do I do this one or do I do this one? But then, you know, I, I rewatched Princess Diaries because they gave me like the you know, what is it, Julie, Julie Andrews kind of gave you, like, the thing. She's like, no, because this is going to get tiring. You need to, like, like this and just, you know. So I had a tutorial just watching a Disney movie, so I guess, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, the over-under was .5 Princess Diaries references, so I'm glad we hit the over for that. That's great. And, yeah, no, well done. And, you know, for you, it, it's so clear how much the Puerto Rican community has meant to you, the larger Latinx community as well. And obviously, two years ago, when Hurricane, Hurricane Maria uh, ravaged the island of Puerto Rico, you you know were very adamant about doing whatever you could to support the island. I think you raised somewhere around $200,000. Uh, you know, what did, you know, what has the Puerto Rican tennis community and just the community at large meant to you? And how important was it for you to give back in that time of crisis? Well, just seeing how Puerto Rico reacted when I won the gold medal, seeing how much they enjoyed the moment and how much support they gave me in that whole week. And not, well, not just that whole week, during my entire career, I have had some very loyal fans in Puerto Rico and I thank them with all of my heart. Um, It was time for me to repay the favor. And uh, when Hurricane Maria hit, um, it was devastating, but we also have to remember that a week before or a few days before Hurricane Irma almost had a direct hit on Puerto Rico and kind of already 
kind of wobbled the structure a little bit until it finally collapsed with Maria. So I was in Asia at the time, um, Wuhan to be exact. And then I had Wuhan, Beijing, and then I went to Luxembourg and all this stuff was happening. I think I cried myself to sleep for a good long while because I felt like there was nothing I could do from so far. And people were getting me to do interviews, voiceovers for videos to kind of like reach out and, and um, have people donate. I couldn't get through an interview or I couldn't get through a voiceover without having to step outside the room to cry and then come back. It was a very emotional moment for me because Puerto Rico has always been my home and I feel very strongly and passionately about where I come from. So in that moment, um, I knew that I needed to jump into action and just figure out a way to start moving somehow while I wasn't there. And then thankfully, Maria Sharpova also joined in on that action and, you know, Sugar Pova as well, and really just helped me raise the money to get people what they needed, which was food, water, insulin for the hospitals. Um, we got them portable stoves so they could cook a hot meal, lanterns that were solar powered, which had USB connection because there was no um, electricity. So going to Puerto Rico was a completely different experience as well, because it's not the Puerto Rico that I knew um, at the end of 2016, which was so vibrant and bubbly and just full of life. It was ominous. It was dark. It was miserable in a way. And um, two, ex two completely different experiences that really opened my eyes and was just kind of like, wow. You know, you've been so kind with your time. Uh, I do want to ask you a little bit about your tennis career because I feel like we haven't really delved in, dived into it yet. And, you know, I want to take us back to 2011 because, as I mentioned, you were a two-time Junior Slam finalist. They both came at the beginning of 2011. But what people may not know is mixed into all of that success, you, I think, won a 25K in surprise that year. You qualified for Charleston for the first time, won a match at Indian Wells as a wild card go on in April to win another 25k in Switzerland uh you know what was was that the first season of your career where things really started to take off and you know what what about what was working then what does results like that do for someone so young early in their career so I had just turned pro I think it was in the summer of 2010 and you know I was top ranked junior I think I got to number two in the world um, in 2010 and then was still ranked in the top five um, in 2011 made those first two junior finals and after the French Open final I was like okay I think it's time to transition over this is what I want to do I'm a professional and I want to see where this goes and having won those 25ks kind of gave me confidence it made me feel like okay I can I can kind of do this but um, what a lot of people don't know is that sometimes I mean you see some girls that you know, just shoot straight to the top and they're just incredible from the get-go and they're very consistent and they just, you know, they find it early and good for them. You know, um, I wish I, I, I found it like that, but it kind of took me a while to, I mean, I was fluctuating all the time. It took me a while to kind of slowly start establishing myself. There were definitely periods of time where I didn't know if I could do this or I didn't know if this was what I was meant to do. Um, and then I was stuck always in that 120 flirting with, you know, top hundred and then dropping down until, um, I think it was 2013 where I, um, I lost in the final round of qualifying, got into as a lucky loser in Estoril and made the quarterfinals in that tournament and jumped from 101 to 80. I was like, 
finally that's done <laughs> like oh my god and from there on out I just kind of relaxed and then made it to by that summer after Wimbledon made it to 48 in the world and that was you know that was it from there I, I was like okay well this is it um won my first title in 2014 in Strasbourg and that was pretty cool um you know, and, and all of a sudden the Olympics happens just out of nowhere. Um, so for me, it was pretty much like everything has happened kind of out of the blue. Um, you know, whether it was meant for me or not, it just happened at the time that it was supposed to. Um, every, everybody says like, you can't force things. They just happen when they're meant to. And I think that was just kind of a case of that. It was just meant to be at the moment. And I don't know what tennis has in store for me for the future, but I dying to find out once we start playing <laughs> no, no, without, I always judge a person's career by do you have your own separate career statistics page on Wikipedia and you do uh so you know you've got I that don't going like to look at those because sometimes <laughs> when I see like the win-loss ratio I'm like oh dear god no it's it's better than you think uh, I won't tell you the number so that you don't get you know upset <laughs> but it but it's very good uh and you know for you, uh, over that span, 2013 through now, you played, you know, over 20 plus events a year. And I'm curious for you, uh, is scheduling, because that's, I feel like on the, you know, medium to higher end, is that something you do intentionally? You just like being out there playing as many events as possible? Well, it, I think it really depends on a couple things. I think um, when you're younger, you definitely have more energy to do so. As you get older, your body changes. Um, you definitely don't wake up getting ready to like run a marathon as you do when you're 18. So I remember when I first got on tour, I was like, oh my God, this is great. I play a three set match. I'm ready to play another one the next day. And people would tell me, just wait a few years. <laughs> and now I get up out of bed every morning. I'm like, oh, I'm like, everything hurts. And I feel like such a grandma. And then, I mean, I had my first surgery um, in December. So I'm like, okay, my body is definitely not what it used to be. So there's um, a lot more thought process that goes into planning tournaments now and what my schedule needs to look like. Um, we definitely plan tournaments based off of where I want to peak. So if, you know, I want to peak at a Grand Slam, what are the necessary tournaments that I need to play to kind of get myself back up here? So I start low and then I go high. Um, you know, now it's, it's not so much about how many tournaments can I play in a year. You know, if I feel great, I'll play as many tournaments as I want. But I feel like it's starting to become a point where I need to be smart about what I want to play and where I want to peak and where I really want to do well at because at the big tournaments, there's a lot of prize money, there's a lot of points, and that's where it matters the most. And I really, really want to try and win a major, um, you know, before I call it quits on my career. I would like to win several, of course, but, you know, just like the Olympics, I have one. I would definitely like to have a Grand Slam to – you know, add to the list, but, um, you know, it, it's, it's like you know, putting the pieces into a puzzle. Yeah, sure. And look, uh, you talk about body changing. There's a reason I'm wearing a hat. It's because this upper <laughs> left quadrant is just atrocious, not nearly ready to I be seen. I have wrinkles. Like, I get that. I always have wrinkles on my forehead because I'm always doing this on the court. And you feel like I always have, my, sometimes my coach is like, do you have a question? I'm like, no, this is just my normal face when I'm playing or whatever. He's like, you can relax your forehead. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, that, that, that struggle is real for sure. But you talk about, you know, getting to know your body, getting to know what works for you heading into tournaments. Last serious question, I promise. But, you know, again, you are having success by age 16 on tour. And, you know, uh, so clearly your level of play was there. But I'm curious, what's the bigger adjustment, you know, physically adjusting to the grind week in, week out on tour? Or is it the mental adjustment you have to make all of the travel and just bouncing back from a loss as quickly as possible? You know, what was more difficult for you to overcome thus far in your career? Well, bouncing back from losses is something I still struggle with. Um, it's, it's tough. It's going to be tough, I think, all your career because it matters to you that much. Um, the travel, the good thing about the junior tour versus the professional tour is that the junior tour is very similar to what we go through as pros. Um, just the best amount of tournaments for your ranking is much smaller. So I think it's like six or eight best events. And for us, I think it's like 16 or something like that. Um, so it's more. Um, the traveling, like I said, it's very similar. We, we have similar um, places where we go to play or to prepare before our, our Grand Slams or big, uh, big events. Um, I think the most difficult thing about the transition is definitely mentally. It's knowing that in the professional level, people are playing for something. We're playing for money. We're playing for big endorsement deals. Like we're playing to live now. This is what this is how we're living. This is how we're surviving. If we win, we're, we're okay. If we lose, you know, there comes that worry and anxiety, like, how am I going to make it to another day, et cetera, et cetera. And I think it's just, nobody is going to give you anything for free. Um, whereas in the juniors, you know, you get frustrated or whatever, and you know, somebody might tank a match and it doesn't really mean anything, but in the professional level, you don't see that because everybody is hungry to get, you know, paid. Um, and I think on the physical level, the game is much faster. And I realized that when I got my first wild card, I think it was um, into Ponte Vedra, Florida, my first, I think, ever WTA event. I, I think it was like, a, what, it was Sony Erickson something the tour was called back then. Um, and I just remember getting a wild card in 2015, uh, sorry, not 2015, 2010. And I actually won my first qualifying match and lost to Bethany Maddox-Sands in the second round of qualifying. But the game was so much faster. I struggled to stay in the rallies because it, I, you know, it just took a lot out of me. I was breathless at times. Um, the ball was coming much harder, much quicker. So I needed to do that. Thankfully, I was the type of player that I like to push the other player back. So naturally, I was always very aggressive, even that young. So that wasn't a problem for me. But you know, maintaining that intensity that energy level very high it was a struggle um and that's something that you you know you start getting stronger you start getting fitter and you transition into but that was the biggest like the biggest two takeaways for me from the transition from one to the other yeah i mean look in that match against bethany six two first set for monica please so you know you were there uh, but yeah, yeah i ended up tearing my ab muscle and i couldn't serve oh, really so i was yeah so that's a, at the end of the first set um, I had like a tear in my um, left ab and then every time I was going to serve it would hurt so much so I couldn't really do that but Bethany actually we talked we had an Instagram live a few weeks ago and we talked about that moment it was just 16 year old Monica playing against Bethany I'm like thinking on the other because Bethany's so feisty when she plays and she's kind of like scary to match up against because she's, <laughs> she's like on it all the time and has this like confidence and this aura on the court that you're just kind of like 
<laughs> just like, you know, she's, she's intense and she's a fighter. And, you know, I admire her so much for what she does on and off the court. She's such a champion in the way that she's bounced back from injuries. She's a, she's a huge role model and being able to play against her, you know, and having those memories from when I was 16 years old to playing her. I think I played her um, two years ago in Auckland or last year in Auckland. Um, you know, we're, we've remained close during this whole time. You know, she's taken me under her wing um, before when I was coming up on tour and kind of helped me navigate what this life was all about. And uh, I'm grateful for that. I keep waiting for you to play Owen Shibura for a second time in the pro tour. I feel like that's a junior oh, rivalry that could so, translate. Like every time we play in a practice set or something, <laughs> she's always slicing and dicing and drop shotting and this and that. And there are times where I like, you know, even if I win the point, I'm just like, I look at her across <laughs> and then she's like laughing at me. I'm like, seriously, are you never going to let that go? She's like, nope, because I know you hate it so much. I'm like, I was like, it's not that I hate it. I just hate the fact that I can't do it. <laughs> like, she, she hits these drop shots that go that way. You know, she hits these slices that just rip through the court, and you're like, okay, well, <laughs> fine. I mean, you do you, but <laughs> I wish I could do that. Yeah, no, without question. And all right, I lied. I'm going to throw in another serious one because you talked about the nicks and bruises that you must have. Um, how frequently are you playing on tour, you know, just banged up? Um, there's a good chance that during every tournament, you have something going on. Mm -hmm. So that's why people see us with our leg taped or our arm or like just some really fancy tape jobs all over. Because it's very, very tough to feel 100% at every single event. There have been some times where you know, I have walked onto the court and I'm sick as a dog and I need to go out there and I've won matches, you know, being sick. I have, you know, played with a hip tear and I have won a match, but unfortunately couldn't play the next one. Um, for me, I never like to pull out from a tournament. I never like to retire from a match. If I do so, it's probably something serious. Um, I remember in uh, 2000 and what was it, 2018 U.S. Open, um, or before the U.S. Open, New Haven. I had a really, really good tennis uh, event there, making qualifying and making it to the semifinals, and I had to pull out against Carlos Suarez Navarro because I had an ab issue as well. And I was in tears because I was like, I don't like that. I don't like it for the fans. You know, they come to watch you play, and you just have to retire. And I honestly, you know, sometimes feel a little bit, sad if I have to pull out from an event like Indian Wells I felt like you know I thought I was ready but I was not and I'm still not physically 100 100% of where I need to be but yeah the reality is and also as you get older you're most likely going to be hurting um you know five out of seven days of the week <laughs> yeah that that's uh the joys of getting older right for sure um, yeah well and and playing a, a, a high impact sport like yeah well, not high, high impact like not impact impact but your joints definitely feel the impact yeah no without question all right last three rapid fire series of questions for you all okay. quarantine edition um <laughs> you know we're all stuck at home and so we're doing things we probably shouldn't what is your worst quarantine purchase my worst quarantine purchase um for me, it's the two bags of Reese's eggs because I ate them both. And I was like, that it's was It's everything that I start baking. Literally, like, <laughs> boxes of Sara Lee cake mix or Oreos or anything. 
And the thing is, I'm trying to make these desserts for other people. <laughs> but what kind of a baker doesn't try their own, you know, masterpiece? And I have been guilty of doing more than just trying. <laughs> no, and out of business baker, that's too. Yeah, because you I've gotta been try like, first. definitely chowing down two, three, four, five, six cookies at a time. So. Yeah, the, the snackage rate for me is the thing that's, imp- yeah, it's just increased. The yeah, because I mean, you, you, it's so tough to identify. Am I bored really? Or am I hungry? <laughs> and usually more of the time, you know, you want to kind of convince yourself that you're hungry. Yeah. But, it, you know, your, your, your mind knows that you're bored, but you're like, no, no, yeah. I'm just hungry. Yeah, yeah. We let, have me, a... let me. What do I have in the pantry today? Hi, Oreos, you're coming with me. <laughs> no, my roommate has a smart rule, no popcorn before 10.30. That's the rule we've implemented. Oh, I love popcorn. Yeah, so that's the thing. Are right, any new quarantine hobbies? Other than baking, baking. I suppose. <laughs> yeah, that's a good double <laughs> Baking? Yeah. Um, I've been trying to read as much as I can. You know, I used to do that. I'm, I'm a huge nerd when it comes to books. <laughs> um, I do not read many, like, uh educational books like on things that would teach you something because sometimes i tend to lose interest or i just want to read about something um that is fun for me i like reading fiction books because it's like i can take my mind away from where i am right now and i transport myself to a completely other uh, different place so i have been reading a lot um my favorite author is stephen king mm-hmm. uh, his books are just like exceptional mind-blowing yeah. amazing yeah amazing mm-hmm. no all thrillers for sure definitely um all right last question for you and then we'll let you go because again you've been so <laughs> kind with your time and we really I'm appreciate good. it i'm not doing anything so that's okay yeah i know again that's these podcasts have been so enjoyable for me because it's like i get to escape for a second it's like and to get to do <laughs> yeah. it on zoom as well see your smiling face it's a win for me for sure uh, yeah <laughs> much more so for me than you i imagine but uh, no no this has been so fun yeah uh but so last question for you again you are one of the participants in my tennis hq this season it's you and jamie murray and we're part of the tennis channel podcast network so always going to throw in a plug for our fellow tennis channel (laughs) members uh you know what is for you the weirdest part of doing that series of having them with you day to day you know or maybe not day to day but just behind the scenes with you all the time i think the weirdest thing is just always having to remember to videotape stuff so you know a lot of the time like for example i have to send content all the time through an app so that they the editing team can like put it all together make it nice and stuff like that and i do some pretty epic stuff and then after i do it i'm like i didn't videotape that Uh, or like baking i'm here in my kitchen i'm like going to town on my KitchenAid mixer like throwing in all this stuff and like tasting everything. I got my apron on, like there's sugar everywhere. There's flour all over the place. And I'm just kind of like, this looks like I'm a legitimate baker. Like I could be on the food network and have my own show and I don't tape any of that stuff. And I'm like, this would have been so great for tennis channel. But then obviously, you know, when I realized that I'm like, hi, this is Monica Puig. Welcome to my tennis life. I'm here in my pajamas and I'm in bed. And I'm like, this is as sexy as it's going to get you guys. Like, I'm not doing anything because I forgot to like videotape myself actually being a professional baker in my kitchen. Yeah. No. So I'm looking forward to part six and seven, the bake off where maybe. Yeah. So, so a friend of mine actually gave me a, um, a heading of what 
I should be doing. And it's like um, having my own like little baking show. And I think I'm going to do it because I tend to bake treats every other day. Um, and, you know, some pretty awesome things that I've been baking lately. So, you know what, I'm going to probably give it a try. And I think I'm going to expand my horizons and actually do some really crazy and epic stuff. I see the two episode arc part end of part one, the timer goes off and you like take a nap and fall asleep. And it's a dramatic <laughs> ending. Did she hear the buzzer? Is it going to burn? And just why is things. there smoke in the kitchen? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You can you can squeeze three or four episodes out of that content for sure. I uh, mean, I think I can. Yeah, and I look forward to seeing it very much. Well, Monica, again, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. This has been an absolute blast. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we look forward to you know any first of all, anytime you want to come on and chat, you know where to find. Absolutely, me. count yeah. me in for more. Yeah, but thank you so much, and again, take care. Thank you, you too. Yeah, bye. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with Olympic gold medalist and current WTA number 90, Monica Pui. Again, a huge thank you to Monica for taking the time to not only chat with us, but to do it via Zoom as well. And so another reminder, if you podcast listeners want to hear this one more time, but see it in audio form, see it in video form, I should say. I keep screwing those up. That's why we leave that stuff to super producer Daniel Westoff. Uh, but of course, you can find that in video form on our website. And again, we apologize today for the audio problems at the end we are getting better and better with zoom and you know as we do the audio will continue to improve and you know again if you enjoyed this podcast be sure to go check out our youtube channel where you'll find this interview the interview we just did with bethany maddox sands and so much more whether it's hit and one our new series following division one player alex russian whether it's Overserved, whether it's cr classics i promise you're going to want to subscribe to that channel so you don't miss anything moving forward of course please like rate subscribe review this podcast the great shot podcast the mini break podcast our newest podcast the inside out podcast which is our narrative based show the first season of which focuses on the best american male players throughout the open era you can find all of those podcasts wherever you listen on your various podcast platforms a shout out as always to our super producer daniel westoff for the of an editing job he does again uh it's very easy to talk into a microphone much more difficult to make it sound coherent and he does dang in day out so shout out to him shout out as well to our friends at midwest sports and the support they give us go to midwestsports.com use that promo code cr15 get 15 percent off all of your purchases free two-day shipping on orders over 75 dollars and of course that free can of tennis balls but with all that being said and again if you missed any of our content be sure to go to the website crackedrackets.com twitter instagram facebook youtube it's at cracked rackets you want to follow me directly shoot me a dm it's at great shot pod but with all of that being said for our lovely guest today monica pui our super producers max fligner and daniel westoff our friends at midwest sports and all of us here at both crack rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin you've been listening to another edition of the cracked interviews podcast stay safe stay healthy and we'll see you all next time thanks everyone